ladies and gentle persons, cats and dogs and raccoons and whoever else is listening, welcome to Heroic Beasts, the Anthropomorphics comic book podcast. I'm your host, Brink Bunny. Thank you for joining me for this, my first foray into podcasting. I appreciate your patience. Hopefully I won't screw things up too badly. So I figured to begin, I'll give a little background on me and who I am and what I do and why I'd want to make a podcast about anthropomorphic characters and comic books, what I'm planning to cover and stuff like that. So just briefly, I am Canadian. I've been living in California for the last 16 years. I draw a lot of cartoons in my spare time. Um, I work as an animator. Been in the industry since 99 which technically means my career has spanned two centuries, uh, which always makes me feel young. Uh, I didn't start out wanting to be an animator. When I was in high school, what I really wanted to be was a comic book artist because I am a lifelong comic book addict. I love comics, I love superheroes, I love sci-fi, horror, all that nerdy shit. But I'm also a lifelong fan of anthropomorphic animals as my name might tip off. And I've been part of the furry fandom since 1996. Uh, Growing up reading comics, uh, this was the days before I knew what a furry was, uh, I always found myself drawn to books and characters with animalistic traits, whether they were superheroes, monsters, aliens, or just funny animals like Donald Duck, Bugs Bunny, stuff like that. I don't really know why I was always drawn to animal characters, or even, like, in general, just not human characters. Uh, possibly because humans are terrible, maybe. I don't know if you've noticed that, but humans are, like, kind of the worst things on Earth. Uh, but anyway, since I love talking comics, I thought I would take a stab at creating a podcast to be an appreciation of anthropomorphics and zoomorphics uh, content in you know, this medium uh, of comic books. As I mentioned, this is my first attempt making a podcast. So sorry if this is sort of rambling. So I'm flying solo here. Uh, I'll be considering these first few episodes that I do my testing grounds, my season zero, my KTMA, if you will. As such, nothing is set in stone, but uh, like as a format to begin with, uh, I'm figuring that each episode of the podcast will be one issue of a comic. I'll choose a comic and we'll just run through it page by page, panel by panel, and read through the story. Uh, Idea being that if you have the comic, you could follow along. And if not, hopefully I'll do a good enough job where you can just listen and imagine. Uh, I'll probably let a few opinions slip here and there, but the goal... Uh, My goal will not be to critique. Uh, It'll just be to enjoy the books. Talk about the art, the story, the creators, the characters, and any other extra info or context I can find that would hopefully be interesting. So, choosing the starting point. With 100 years of comics publishing history and multiple genres to choose from, where to begin with an Anthro Comics podcast. I figured a good place, a logical place to start would be arguably 
the biggest anthropomorphic animal comic book star around these days, a young boy named Rocket Raccoon. Everyone knows Rocket, everyone loves Rocket, but does everyone know how he got his start? Uh, for Season Zero, I plan to cover all Rocket's comic appearances from his first credited appearance in 1976, chronologically up until just before his revival in 2007 in the Annihilation Conquest event. And that event is what springboarded him into the Guardians of the Galaxy comic, which then, of course, became the movie, and everybody knows what has happened since then. Uh, but from 1976 to 2007, that might sound like it would be a lot of comics, but Rocket only actually appeared in a grand total of 12 comics in that 30-year stretch, and six of them were barely even cameos. He appeared in, in like four of those six issues. He's in like one panel of the comic. Uh, Marvel just didn't know what they had. And it's probably fair to say even Rocket's creator, uh, writer Bill Mantlo, didn't really know what he had either because he hadn't figured Rocket out yet. Um, it's widely known that Mantlo's inspiration for Rocket came from the Beatles song Rocky Raccoon, uh, but that inspiration didn't really inform any of Rocket's character. It was just sort of a name association that spawned the idea. Uh, so Rocket's early appearances are kind of all over the board. If you're only familiar with Rocket from the movies, uh, in these comics that we're going to go over, he'll probably seem pretty unfamiliar. He's going to seem like a different character. Uh, particularly in his earliest credited appearance, which is what we're going to go over in this episode. Uh, but that kind of character evolution, to me anyway, is half the fun of long-term narratives like comics. Uh, it's just what makes comics cool, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so, if you're down with all that, let's go. Let's find out how Rocket Raccoon became Rocket Raccoon. We're going to be delving into Marvel preview number seven. Rocket Raccoon's first officially credited appearance. Sorta. Technically. I'll get into that at the end. For now, come along with me, gentle listener, as we journey back to the year of Rocket Raccoon's birth, and mine incidentally, 1976. This issue had a release date of July 13th, 1976. Cover price was $1.00. So what was everybody buzzing about this week in 1976 besides rushing out to buy their copies of Marvel Preview number 7? Because obviously everyone was. The number one movie in theaters this week was The Omen, starring Gregory Peck. Uh, number one song in the Billboard charts, Afternoon Delight by the Starlight Vocal Band. Number one show on TV, All in the Family, Archie Bunker. And in the news, the week after the USA's bicentennial, 200th birthday, um, Jimmy Carter, in his presidential run, secured the Democratic Party nomination. And of course, went on to become president the next year, but we don't know that yet because it's only 1976. Okay, let's go over the creative team for this issue. Uh, no, well, not for the issue, for this story. For the sword in the star is the story that we're going to be covering in this issue of Marvel Preview. The writer was Bill Mantlo. A uh, quick Bill Mantlo fact, aside from co-creating Rocket Raccoon, Bill's other major character creations were Cloak and Dagger. 
Uh, also from Marvel Comics, very big in the 80s. Pencils and Inks by Keith Giffen. Quick Keith Giffen fact, this story, Sword in the Star, was Keith Giffen's first professional work in comics and launched him on a very successful career, which continues to this day as an artist and a writer. Uh, letters by Karen Mantlow. Quick Karen Mantlow fact. Karen Mantlow is Bill Mantlow's now ex-wife, uh, but she lettered over 100 comics for Marvel in the 70s. Uh, editor John Warner. Uh, John Warner fact. Aside from editing, he also worked as a writer and co-created the Marvel characters Killer Strike and Ulysses Bloodstone. Editor-in-chief Archie Goodwin. Archie Goodwin fact. Archie was renowned for his reputation as one of the most beloved editors-in-chief ever to work in comics, or possibly more accurately put, one of the only beloved editors-in-chief ever to work in comics. And that's it. There's no colorist because it's a black and white magazine. So that's that's our creative team for the issue. First, a little about Marvel preview, the actual book that we're going to be reading the story from. Uh, this was a title from Marvel's black and white magazine line. There was a big black and white magazine boom in the 70s. Uh, these mags were big business at that time. Marvel was putting out a bunch of them. Uh, Rampaging Hulk, uh, Dracula Lives, Tales of the Zombie... There's Conan titles, etc. There's a bunch. Uh, Marvel Preview was an anthology book with new rotating features each month, spanning genres from horror to sci-fi to superheroes to fantasy, whatever. Um, part of the appeal of the black and white magazines was that they sidestepped the Comics Code Authority, which was uh, very prevalent and strict, uh, still pretty strict at the time in the 70s, although they had recently loosened things up a bit. Um... So the magazines were able to have things, have content that comics couldn't do. Um, tell more adult stories, have things like mild profanity and nudity, more violent content, stuff like that. Rocket's first credited appearance was here in Marvel Preview uh, in a backup feature called The Sword and the Star. However, he shows up in Chapter 2 of this story already in progress. Given that, before we get going into Marvel Preview number 7, I'm going to do a quick basic overview of the first chapter of Sword in the Star for Marvel Preview number four, uh, which just so happened to be the first appearance of Star-Lord, incidentally. Um, although he's a very different character at the time, unrecognizable from uh, the uh, Chris... Um, shit. Uh, Chris... God damn it, I can't remember his name. Not Pine. Not Hemsworth. Not Evans. The fourth one. Hi, buddy. It's my cat. He's a jerk. Um. Anyway, yes. So, Sword, uh, uh, Mar Sword and Star Chapter 1 released in Marvel Preview Number 4, and that was uh, in October of 1975 when this first came out. So, let's just run through this as quickly as I can, and uh, hopefully it won't be too tedious. Uh, we don't want to leave people lost. We don't want to com confused uh, and when we go through the story. So we're told in a three-page text introduction to Sword in the Star, yes, there's a three-page text introduction to this comic, um, that it is loosely patterned after Homer's The Odyssey. So it's kind of just using that story as inf uh, inspiration, using some of the beats and stuff like that. The story opens on a two-page splash panel of a battlefield. Uh, we got broken buildings and structures, piles of dead soldiers everywhere. 
and we are introduced to Prince Wayfinder, the central character of the Sword in the Star. Uh, and he's here talking to his dying father, the king. Uh, Wayfinder is Caucasian looking. He's got long, dark flowing hair, chiseled jaw, sort of your standard fantasy comic hero. He's wearing a full suit of armor. It's very shiny, very fancy. And just for an extra dose of fabulousness, a cape. Uh, the king is telling his son about a prophecy that uh, Wayfinder, that, uh, that, uh, that, that they kept a secret from Wayfinder, and is supposed to leave on a quest. He needs to abandon his troops, Wayfinder does, and uh, supposedly this path he'll go on will eventually lead him back to his homeworld with the knowledge and power to reclaim their world. That's why they named him Wayfinder, because of this uh, prophecy. Uh, Wayfinder's pissed, but he goes with the wizard Delphos, uh, who sort of stands out from everybody else because he speaks in contemporary language, uh, unlike everyone else who kind of talks like Thor. Well, he's, you know, contemporary language for the 1970s. Um, Wayfinder and Delphos take off. They leave the battlefield. They hear their army, army being wiped out. The, their enemies have come back and, and killed off the rest of their soldiers. Uh, and they go to an underground bunker. Delphos takes Wayfinder to. Uh, and the bunker is full of technology that blows Wayfinder's mind. He's never seen anything like it. And uh, Delphos puts Wayfinder in this helmet that uh, tells him his, uh, sort of gives him visions, tells him his race is descended from humans who fled the planet Earth 10,000 years ago after they ruined it, like fucked up the environment and made it unlivable. Surprising no one. And... Uh, we also learn that Delphos is one of those original humans, though through science he's been alive for 10,000 years. Uh, but right about that time, their enemies locate them. They start bombing the bunker. Delphos and Wayfinder uh, escape to Delphos' ship and take off, leave the planet with the robot Alcanus, uh, Delphos' pilot. But Delphos is mortally wounded during the escape. And that sums up the events of Marvel Preview number four, so we're ready to dig into Marvel Preview number seven. So the cover artist for this issue is Bob Larkin, giving us a pretty great painted cover featuring Daughter of the Devil, Satana. Uh, the Satana stories in this issue, incidentally, are all illustrated by Spanish artist Vicente Alcazar. I think I'm saying that right. And they're fucking gorgeous. I highly recommend checking out the Satana stories if you get the chance, if you have this issue it's really great art but we're not here for satana we're here for a talking raccoon so because of that i'm going to continue to breeze through the story the the, the sword and the star story here in chapter two up until our buddy first hits the scene so we pick up here on delphos's ship uh wayfinder is mourning the loss of delphos uh he's tripping out about all the new knowledge that he's just picked up everything the, the helmet told him everything he's ever known has been turned upside down uh wayfinder and alcanus the robot uh have a little quick discussion about uh what delphos's uh funeral rites should be uh wayfinder is concerned about it but alcanus is like he's a fucking scientist he doesn't care uh so they unceremoniously chuck delphos's body into space as he would have wanted uh but wayfinder swears vengeance they arrive at the planet Halalay, which I'm probably saying wrong, but it's also called Witch World, which is easier to say and sounds cooler. Uh, they land in the water, uh, where they sit down, 
and Wayfinder sets off to find food. They had no food on the ship, uh, so he's fucking starving. They didn't have time to grab food before they left because they were being attacked. Starting out in his hunt, uh, Wayfinder stops for water and hears a mysterious voice warn him not to drink. He ignores it uh, and takes a drink anyway and is immediately attacked by a monster tree. Uh, as happens sometimes. Uh, Wayfinder beats up the tree, stabs it in its tree heart. Uh, the tree is not Groot, by the way. Just a coincidence. It's not Groot. Don't worry, he's not dead. Uh, but this tree is definitely dead because... Uh, well, presumably dead because uh, Wayfinder runs it through. And that brings us up to page 56. Uh, page 56 of the magazine, page 12 of the story, Sword in the Star. Uh, the voice is piping up here again, the one that warned Wayfinder earlier. Uh, now it's mocking Wayfinder on his victory over a poor defenseless tree. And in this first panel here, Wayfinder is uh, he's in a bit of a post-coital-looking sexy lounge, giving Jeff Goldblum a run for his money. Uh, and he's like, that's the voice again. And over in panel two... We are uh, uh, first introduced to a talking raccoon smoking a cigar. Uh, he's wearing breastplate armor, uh, what appears to be a holster pouch, like for a, for a pistol or something, on his chest. And uh, around his waist, he's got kind of those um, Roman armor, uh, leather, leather strips of leather, kind of like a skirt around his, uh, around his uh, waist uh, to preserve his... Uh, raccoonly modesty uh this raccoon looks a little different from the rocket we would know uh but one of the most jarring things about this guy to fans of rocket is probably going to be the fact that he's talking in an what i would describe as outlandish british accent it's very over the top he's using phrases that kind of elicit the image of like a foppish english aristocrat Fuck, I can't talk. A foppish English aristocrat. Uh, we know, as I mentioned before, Rocky's origins are from the Beatles song, Rocky Raccoon. So I guess uh, Mantlo probably originally figured Rocky should be British. Um, and what is he saying here in his first, his first line in comics history? Uh, Wayfinder saying, the voice again, the same voice that tried to warn me from drinking the water. And Rocky's saying, yes, and I bloody well can't determine why I bothered. That old tree used to obtain fish for me, and if you don't mind my saying, you don't look like much of a replacement, old bean. Old bean. It's the thing, it's a thing that people say. Um, so hopefully if anyone British is listening, I'm not pissing them off. It's just like spit taking their tea. How dare you, sir? So, Sorry. <laughs> uh so wayfinder is like what the fuck uh talking animal uh raccoon or, or uh, uh the raccoon he seems to be kind of offended by that he says uh allow me to caution you against your use of pejoratives old man uh but uh wayfinder apologizes and uh the raccoon's like okay yeah, no problem and uh, he he he's uh, he's retrieving Wayfinder's sword out of the tree, and uh, brings it back to him. Calls him Old Bean again. 
uh, and uh, basically invites Wayfinder to come hunt for food with him. Uh, and Wayfinder is generally, he seems a little uh, flustered and confused, talking animals. On to page 57, page 13 of the story. Uh, Rocky gives Wayfinder his name, finally. Uh, yes, I'll go with you if you lead me to food, Wayfinder says, and Rocky says, But of course, old man. By the way, I'm a raccoon, in case you were wondering. My friends call me Rocky. Oh, Rocky! And, uh, Wayfinder introduces himself and, uh, says he's, uh, he says, uh, fleeing from the Hammond invaders. The Hammond were the, the enemies that killed his people. Uh, the Hammond invaders who destroyed my world and fleeing, it seems, into a madhouse. And, uh, in my opinion, you should not be allowed to call someplace a madhouse just once without repeating, a madhouse, preferably while a monkey is spraying you with a fire hose. But we can, I'll let, I'll let Wayfinder off this time. Uh, and then at the rest of this page, we've got a quick little aside back to Alcanus, back of the ship. Uh, he's getting a visitor. Apparently they parked in the Black Lagoon because there's this, like, fish guy coming up onto the deck and Alcanus is uh, confronting him. But sadly, this uh, pretty much amounts to nothing since the story never continues after this issue. And this is the last time we see Alcanus, so... Sorry, Alcanus. Oh, page 58. Uh, page 14 of the story. So Rocky is uh, kind of shit-talking Wayfinder here for being bad at wayfinding, essentially, saying they whoever named him did a pretty bad job. Uh, and he says that, uh, you know, he's like, Wayfinder, you, you, you don't know anything about anything. You're doing stupid shit. And Wayfinder is here picking a flower, and uh, Rocky is watching him. And he's telling him that, uh, you know, those flowers you're picking, uh, anybody would know those are guarded by the Plagosaur. And fucking here comes the Plagosaur. I don't know, like on cue, instantly. He just appears from nowhere. Uh, and he's kind of like, looks kind of like lizard-like, kind of like a lizard man, except, uh, you know, a lizard monster, I guess. Um, he's sort of covered in his skin, looks like it's made of rocks, kind of like the thing. And, uh, he's got, uh, 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 what do you call them? Like craters all over his, uh, his arms and his back. And they're like billowing fire and smoke. His fingers look like smoking shotgun shells. Uh, and he's just fucking, he's saying, Rower! Uh, and, uh, <laughs> And uh, Wayfinder is like, holy shit, why the fuck didn't you warn me, bro? Uh, and Rocky says, I say, old man, I'm not an information dispensary. So Rocky kind of a dick. He just basically watched Wayfinder do something that he had every reason to believe would lead to him being killed. Um, I gotta say... They kind of just gloss right over the fact that, like, these flowers that Wayfinder picks, uh, that, that they're being protected. Like, because the, they're, they're in, like, a sort of, a, a, a like, a, a North American or maybe, like, a European-looking forest here. He's picking up some flowers, and, uh, apparently they're protected by a fucking magma rock monster. 
Uh, so I'm curious about the biological connection here between the fiery rock magma lizard and a flower. Uh, it almost seems, I don't want to throw stones here, kind of random. Almost like they just needed a fight scene. And they were like, ah, this is a fucking monster. Protects flowers. But, you know, whatever. It's going to, you know, cool, cool lava monster. Got to get him in there somehow. Uh, so Wayfinder starts to do battle with the Plagosaur. Uh, on the next page, on page 59, uh, Rocky takes out his gun, takes a shot at the Plagosaur. Uh, but it doesn't take him down. Uh, it hurts. The Wayfinder says it hurt him, but uh, didn't stop him. So now it's my turn. And uh, Wayfinder is kind of he's vaulting over the monster here. Uh, and then he, he jabs his sword down into the monster's back. Uh, and says something about uh, the sonic charge in my blade builds up within its scaled body, finding for itself no means of egress until all that remains for it to do... And the next page, he's going to tell you that it implodes, um, which is kind of surprising. It didn't seem like Wayfinder would have a sword that had sonic charges in it, but I guess he did. Maybe he got it from, uh, maybe he got it from Delphos. Um, this this page here is interesting. Keith Giffen, uh, first time artist. Uh, you know, this this was his uh, some of his earliest work. Uh, he's tried to break up the page instead of using. Uh, panels. He's using the monster itself, the the plagosaur, its tail, and the uh, the fire and smoke shooting out of it as uh, replacements for the panel breaks in the page. Uh, which is creative. It's you know it's unique. Uh, I don't really think it works. It's a bit messy. It's kind of distracting. Um, but you know points. Points to uh, Giffen for giving it a go. Trying to keep things interesting and different. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's just the uh, just a big fight scene on that panel. Or on that page, rather. Uh, yeah, and then the next uh, page here, we've got uh, uh, Wayfinder saying, The creature's imploded. Uh, and I guess in this comic, I guess implode means something different from I would think implode means because at the end there's, there's still a monster and still a sword. So they didn't, they don't seem like they imploded at all. They seem like they're still very much there. The monster's just dead. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know what implode means. Um, but yeah, so they got a dead rock lava monster plagosaur. Uh, which is apparently very appetizing because uh, Rocky wants to immediately eat it. Uh, and, you know, he's, uh, Rocky is here saying he's spinning his gun around, looking pretty cocky, saying, let's dig in. Uh, but just then, they're interrupted, just as they're about to enjoy their delicious meal of dead rock monster. Um, they're interrupted by Kirk. Uh, so here comes Kirk. Uh, Kirk is a woman in a uh, sort of a gown or a robe, uh, which is very ornate looking. It's sort of got like flowers and stuff all over it, plant life. Uh, she's got a hood. She's got some sort of a metal around her. She's got a little walking cane there, a little pimp cane. And uh, she's got a blindfold on. So she seems pretty magic-y 
based on first glance. Uh, but she's also flanked by a whole bunch of uh, her thugs, which all appear to be animal people, or just animals. Uh, on her left, there's a sort of a ram guy there looking in armor. And it's basically, this This isn't, uh, you know, it's, it looks like a, a human man with a ram's head uh, in armor. And on the left, or on her right, rather, there's, a, I think that might be a mole. Behind that, we can see sort of a deer. Uh, down by her feet, we got a couple things. Looks like a, like a wild boar, something that might be a wolverine or a wolf or something. She's got a snake. And on her shoulder, there's like a weird furry bug thing perched, like a big, big bug thing. Um... And this page is another strange, strange panel layout. Uh, for some reason, the the page follows down the left side from top to bottom, and then goes back up to the top on the right side, and then flows down or top to bottom. And the panels on the left side are just really thickly outlined, like black outline. Uh, I'm not sure why. You know, th I, again, I don't think this uh, this is a little confusing the first time you read it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Not, not a great, not my favorite page layout that I've ever seen. Uh, but, uh, oh yeah, and, uh, 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 Wayfinder sees, uh, Kirk and just immediately calls her a witch, which is kind of rude. Uh, but turns out Kirk is kind of a jerk, uh, so it's okay. Uh, Kirk is telling her thugs to grab the Plagosaur here. And this is page 61 we're on now, page 17 of the story. Um, she's saying, take the carcass of the Plagosaur, Sir Cat. And Sir Cat uh, says, as you wish it, mistress, you stand aside. But Wayfinder and Rocky do not stand aside. Uh, they're, you know, they're like, Wayfinder's like, fuck that shit, that's my lunch. And uh, he and Rocky start fighting the animal men. And uh, he takes out Saram, it looks like, with his sword. Rocky is uh, Rocky's fighting uh, some of the other things. He's fighting the boar and Sir... I think he's fighting Sir Cat. Uh, and he's kind of like... He's Spider-Man in them up. He's like uh, 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 chatting with them and, and trading quips and stuff. Uh, and Wayfinder... Uh, yells at him and says, Raccoon, you talk too much. Look out behind you. And he throws his sword and buries it into, I think that's Sir Cat. It might be a different monster. But buries it into the guy that's sneaking up beside, or uh, behind, rather, uh, Rocky. And Rocky says, I say, the boy shows pluck. <laughs> um, meanwhile, during all this fight, Kirk is watching. And, uh, uh, she's, she's sort of building up her powers, uh, without anybody really paying much attention to her. She lifts up her staff. Uh, the gem at the top of her scepter is, is glowing. And, uh, we go to the next page, page 62, eight, page 18 of the story. Uh, and it's not entirely clear what's happened. It sort of happened off, off panel between pages. Um, but Kirk has ended the fight. Uh, our heroes, Wayfinder and Rocky, are, you know, flatten their stomachs on the ground, looking like they're totally out of it, beaten. And uh, 
Kirk is saying, uh, "Want to use an Outlander, and uh, that means that I'm interested in that. So you're coming with me. You come along peacefully, or you will die. The choice is yours." And Rocky's final line: "Quite a sticky wicket, eh, Junior?" And uh, Wayfinder, I guess it says, "I guess we got to go with her." And then here at the very end, the last the last little bit of uh, dialogue is. Uh, is a uh, is a, uh, 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 an editorial type of note here saying this is the second installment of Sword in the Star and it may be the last. Only your letters and mostly your support can bring it back for a third try. It's up to you, pilgrims. And uh, yeah, the pilgrims didn't come through for Sword in the Star uh, because this was the the last the last that we see of Sword in the Star unexpected kind of first uh, first appearance uh, or, or, or inauspicious beginning for Rocket Raccoon uh, in this kind of proto version of the character um, so yeah it's uh, uh, the intro the intro that I mentioned in uh, to Sword in the Star in uh, Marvel preview number four uh, mentions that the uh, the story is loosely based on the Odyssey which pretty much tells us that Kirk, K-I-R-K-E, is basically our representation for Circe from the Odyssey and from Greek uh, myth. Uh, Kirk's minions are Sir Cat and Sir Ram, along with a bunch of other biped and quadruped animals. And if you're up in your Greek myth, you'll know that Circe is most well known for turning people into animals. In the Odyssey, she turns Odysseus's men into pigs, uh, I think in some other stories she turns somebody into like a sea serpent and somebody else into a bird. Uh, so uh, being that, you know, here she is with her animal people, who knows the original plan for Rocky, his origin may have been tied to Kirk's power. He might have been originally a human, a British human, uh, who was turned into a raccoon somehow. Uh, we'll never know. Of course, Cersei, uh, the basis for Kirk here, is also the basis for Cersei of the Eternals, but there's no relation to Cersei of the Eternals in this story here. Um, yeah. So, uh, I gotta say, reading both chapters of the story together um, made me feel like this might have been a pretty fun little story if they'd been able to finish it. Uh, I've always been a sucker for sci-fi and adding the tone of fantasy and mixing in the elements like the talking animals and the 10,000 years into the future of humanity are kind of fun hooks. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have bought this as its own book. I wouldn't have bought like the Sword in the Star comic book. But if it had been a backup feature in, a, in, the, in the magazine I was buying, I definitely would have read the rest of it. Um... I guess uh, we will never know how it ends, or will we? Uh, Bill Mantlo actually continued the story of Prince Wayfinder, for anyone who might be interested in the story of Prince Wayfinder, uh, in his Micronaut series, in issues 31 through 35. Uh, unfortunately, that's about all I know, because I've never read the Micronaut series, though it is on my list. I've heard nothing but great things about how awesome uh, uh, the Micronauts comic series was. I was always I was always like this looks dumb this is boring I don't want to read it but now I'm kind of curious I got to check it out at some point um, I know in in the Micronaut story Mantlo tweaked uh, the story quite a bit to sort of fit in uh, to you know, Wayfinder story quite a bit to fit in with the Micronauts um, 
but it does seem to be from what i read about it, it does seem to be a conclusion to wayfinder's quest uh so if you're curious you can check it out but uh uh fair warning rocky raccoon is not part of the proceedings so now we come to the question of the episode is this book really the first appearance of rocket raccoon as it is credited as or is it the first and only appearance of rocky raccoon the character in this story rocky has a lot of things that set him apart from rocket he's got a different name he's got a different accent he lives ten thousand years in the future uh, and he does not appear to have any connection, despite it being 10,000 years in the future, to space travel or rockets or anything in particular, other than the fact that he's a raccoon that has a gun. Is saying this character is Rocket Raccoon just happening because this is a raccoon? Obviously, I'm not an asshole. From the creator's perspective, from Bill Mantlo's perspective, this is the same character. Rocky Raccoon in this story is Bill Mantlo's first draft of this sci-fi talking raccoon character he wanted to play with and rocket raccoon when he pops up in the incredible hulk number 271 is his second draft but from a continuity perspective from the perspective of the character they're clearly different characters using a different example everybody knows johnny storm the human torch from the fantastic four created by jack kirby and stan lee in 1961 uh, now Marvel Comics fans probably know this, but others may not. Johnny Storm was not the first Human Torch. The original Human Torch first appeared in 1939 in Marvel Comics number one. He was created by Carl Burgos. He was an android, uh, but he looked human and acted human. Uh, but he was built with powers by a scientist. Like he was, he was created to be a Human Torch. Um. When Stan and Jack were creating the Fantastic Four, their original intent was to create a superhero team book to compete with DC's Justice League America, which had come out recently. It was a big hit for DC. They took all their most popular guys, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, etc., and chucked them into the same book. So Marvel was like, we need one of those. You guys make this. Uh, but somewhere in the creative process, they pivoted from just copying the concept of the Justice League, and they came up with the concept for the Fantastic Four, all new heroes. Uh, they hadn't existed in any other comics before. But they must have really liked the idea, the concept, the powers of the Human Torch, because they held on to him. But instead of making him the same as the old one, they just made a new character. Uh, but they kept the powers, and they kept the name, but they gave him a different real name and, he, and a different background, a different story. He was a human rather than an android. He was a teenager. He was the Invisible Girl's younger brother. Much like Rocky and Rocket, there are impossible to ignore similarities between the FF's Human Torch and the original Human Torch. By the concept of the character, a normal-looking human man who can light himself aflame without being burned, fly, and shoot, and control fire, both Human Torches are identical. By appearance blonde caucasian man turns into a flaming red silhouette they're also identical but we don't say johnny storm's first appearance was in 1939 and we don't credit carl burgos with creating johnny storm 
Uh, and even though Rocket's personality and elements of his story are all tweaked and changed and retconned over the years, there's a through line of the character of Rocket that is constant from the next time Rocket appears, the Hulk, issue 271, onward. The Sword in the Star, on the other hand, is at best something that happens in the far-flung future, literally thousands of years after we'd expect Rocket and everyone he's ever known to have died, and at worst, a completely different reality and continuity entirely. So is this the first appearance of Rocket Raccoon? You can probably guess what I think. What do you think? Let me know. So yeah, I guess that about wraps it up for our first episode here. I don't want to ramble on too much. I don't want this episode to be too long. Um, but just to talk a little bit more about like what, what hopefully is coming up next. Uh, as I said, I plan to do at least five more episodes, probably six. Uh, next up, we'll be covering Incredible Hulk number 271 where Rocket is going to seem a little more familiar, uh, followed by Rocket's four-part. Each episode will be one of the four parts of the miniseries, 1985 miniseries, with uh, art by the legendary Mike Mignola, or I'm sorry, Mike Mignola. It's going to take me a while to get that pronunciation right because I've always called him Mignola. Um, of course, the creator of Hellboy. Uh, Rocket's miniseries was Mignola's first penciling work in comics. After those five issues, I'll probably do a wrap-up episode. Uh, probably talk a little bit about Bill Mantlo, Rocket's creator, the writer of, uh, of all those issues. Um, and then just go through the handful of cameos Rocket did during the 20-year stretch after the miniseries, but before... Conquest or, uh, in uh, Annihilation Conquest, where he popped up again. Um, yeah, this twenty-year stretch where he just languished in obscurity. Uh, we're gonna leave no stone unturned and dig up every little one-panel appearance he makes and go through all of them. And that will be Heroic Beasts season zero. Uh, I figure I can motivate myself to make it through a small batch of comics like that. Uh, so yeah, if you enjoy this, please let me know if you think I suck. Also, feel free to let me know that too. I'm always open to constructive criticism. Uh, you can find me online at BrinkBunny, all one word, B-R-Y-N-K-B-U-N-N-Y, on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And, uh, that's about that. So, thanks for listening. See you next time, you filthy animals.